0: No, thank you, man. This is fun. I love yes, this stuff. Um oh, uh, can we curse? We cannot curse, right? We shouldn't curse.
1: <laughs> well, we're live, so it's you know, it, ha- it happens. But um, okay. uh but yeah, you so, not the curse. Yeah, you know, y- y- you never know. But um Fine. I just wanted to um so my name is Keith Dent uh from Black Men Speak. It's a podcast um that features ordinary black men doing extraordinary things. Mm-hmm. Uh and I'm your host and um, we have uh, Roger Ap- Apollon uh, Apollon Apollon yes Apollon yeah. on tonight but uh, before we uh, you know start talking I just wanted to um, talk about the actually the beer market um, mm-hmm. so back in 2010 the beer market was primarily controlled by two companies you know Anheuser-Busch and Molson Coors and they held 78% of production um but now we know fast forward 10 years later and uh, that market has really changed significantly and whereby they only control 59 percent of the market which is still a lot Um, but a lot of the reason a lot of that is due to the craft brew industry uh, which has really blossomed um and what that is is that are independently owned and they what great, what's great about the industry is that it focuses on uh, f- different flavors and brewing techniques. And so what, what may come to mind when you think about it are brands like Samuel Adams or Sierra Nevada, which are pr- kind of primary or the first ones that were well-known. Right. Um, but today, uh, there's about 7,400 craft brewers around the U- United States, With only 65 Black owned breweries in the United States. Um, And so, one of those such owners, uh, which is located here in the state of New Jersey, is Roger Apollon. He is the co founder of the Four City Brewing Company. Um, And uh, he, we're going tonight, we're going to just talk about his journey and some of the challenges of being. Uh, and what they use now is kind of bipoc um, <laughs> true in the um, brewing industry so Roger well welcome how are you doing today
0: I'm doing great thanks for having me uh, on here Keith this is uh, I love this stuff so thank you
1: oh I'm sure you do and I mean and I'm sure you love just talking about uh, you know uh, just to craft beer you know so it. it's pretty pretty hype so we're gonna talk about that um, a lot, but one of the things I want to first before we get into kind of the four city, I just want to talk about. I know we, we you grew up, you grew, actually grew up in West Orange and I'm a West Orange resident. So I did. What, what has it, what is it like for you? What is it, you know, how has it changed from, you know, when you grew up?
0: Yeah. I, you know, um, you know, my parents moved here. My parents, uh, were born and raised in Haiti and they met in Brooklyn, New York, got married, and uh, we lived in East Orange. My, my mom was a, uh, was a nurse, is a you know, retired nurse now, but nurse, uh, worked at St. Michael's and then at Presbyterian, and then my dad was at, uh, a, uh, a um, electrical engineer at a firm in New York City, uh, one of the only black, he was the first black engineer at the firm, actually, in New York, so um, we were living in East Orange and I was born in Newark, and then uh, we lived in Brooklyn for a while. Then we moved to West Orange in about 19, you know, right after first grade. For me, I think that was 1970, 1971. And uh, at the time, West Orange wasn't very diverse. Uh, it, it was, uh, I grew up on Cressmont Road, uh, which is across from Liberty Middle School on the border of Livingston.
1: Okay. Yeah. So um,
0: uh, in West Orange terms for the West Orange people out there, it was up the hill for, for reference, because the up the hill, down the hill thing was a real thing. Up the hill tends to be, uh, uh, you know, newer residents, uh, more affluent residents generally, but not always. Um, down the hill were local, uh, you know, general uh, people who've lived in the town for a while tend to be a bit more blue collar. Uh, so there's a bit of tension back then, but it wasn't very diverse. Um, I was only one of four Black families in about 200 developments, 200 homes in that in that area back then. Um, and, um, and quite honestly, my first few years from grades I guess one through five or six were pretty uh, idyllic you know suburban I played mountaintop baseball um you know uh like and my kids you know and the, you know my kids now you know at the time they played mountaintop as well so um you know I went to Saint Joseph's middle school uh here Saint Joseph's school at uh in uh, on Benvenu Avenue um next to the church you know they used to be a school so Ah, uh, very local, great time. You know, however, middle school was more challenging because that's when unfortunately in, in the early late 70s, early 80s, the specter of racism and I just felt like, you know, um, you know, my friends changed, you know, they they were to um and it was sad. You know, my neighborhood friends, I it was a, like over one summer. They like they they went away and whenever they went, they came back and you know, racist slurs and whatever. And again, back then this was standard fare. Um, and when you're a, min- a true minority, you know, one of, you know, four black families in a whole neighborhood, when people mm. treat you that way, you know, you don't really have much recourse. You could either, yeah, uh, well, you have a choice. You could either retreat and, you know, disengage from the outside world, which as a young boy or girl at that time is, you know, socially social suicide um, or figure out a way to, you know, uh, operate within that um that environment, and most of us did that, um, and it wasn't fun. So we had to endure the racist slurs. We had to endure being called the N word to your face and being referred to that, um, and it wasn't nice. Um, however, um, for some reason, you know, um, you know, America's schizophrenic when it comes to race, right? So, for all the racist slurs I would endure um, on the, you know, when I played ba- on the basketball team or whatever sports team, or you know, it was fine you know, at the school dance, the guy who could dance, you know, hip hop's coming out, you know, uh, the guy who knows the rap, you know, all, all the rap, you know, you know, rappers delight. Now, uh, you know, they like that part, um, <laughs> Right. you know, they like the different strokes and Willis and um, you know, what you talking about, you know, they like I'm that. So, um, so, so it wasn't, you know, absolute hell, but, you know, uh, certain things were just un- unwritten rules of, you know, um, uh, you, you, you really couldn't be the first in anything, right? Like you couldn't really, I mean, you could be the best, but you know, you're probably not going to be the best, even if you were the best, you know, cause you're like, you're the only one and you can't possibly be the best in school, you know, whatever, um, dating unwritten rules. You know, uh, I was surrounded by a lot of white people, you know, and, you know, and, you know, I'm going to school with, you know, these people's white daughters and, you know, they like me and I like them. And back in the 80s, you know, now it's not such a big deal. When I go to West Stars, I look around now, it's amazing. You know, uh, you know, uh, that's part of the reason I moved back. But back then, you know, interracial dating outside your race, not, not, a, not, not a great thing, not, not something that really people did up front. So um, all these things were kind of uh, led me to uh, my high school experience, I chose to go to Essex Catholic High School in East Orange, which was a predominantly black, all boys Catholic school because um, I wanted to be more um, in, in in the dominant, you know, I wanted to feel like it was to be in a dominant, it was more 60-40. There were definitely white students at Essex Catholic mm-hmm. back then, um, but um, maybe even 70-30, but I think more 60-40, black to, black to white, and even white had Hispanic, but um, I wanted to feel, I wanted to be yeah, in the included group, which uh, the the unwritten thing, of course, uh, got slapped in the face. So I'm showing up looking like literally, um, you know, um, Carlton from Fresh Prince of Bel Air. <laughs> I had the corduroy jacket with with the patches on this. I still wear patches on my sleeve. You can't see them. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the boat shoes and you know, the 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 my my black uh, classmates from East Orange and Newark were like, "You're definitely not black." <laughs> you know, <what> I'm saying? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. it was just like what you know and which really you know i i just felt like i chose that school i made the choice to fit in and i just felt like i made the worst decision in my life but again um and i'll say it to, to my dying day my, my good friend rawl arthur um, dj mook um and he's still a good friend of mine and he we met each other um in we were classmates. I was Apple on his last name was Arthur. So we sat next to each other in class and he sure. was from East orange and he took, he literally befriended me and took me under his wing. And really, you know, I, I can't tell you, and I don't think he meant to do this. I don't think this was something like a charity case. Cause we did, we had a genuine, a genuine bond from friendship and music, but he showed me how to be black. He really helped me through mm-hmm. the age. Like, You've got to shop here. You know, G Nagy's on Main Street was a big shop where you got your Lee jeans and your belt buckles and your, and your Dutch boy and your, and your, and your shell toes. I went there back then it was baggies in freshman year you, you, where you get your haircut, you know, I, the parties I went with him. He, he introduced me to his friend group because I'm, I'm a black kid growing up in an all white neighborhood in, in West Orange. Okay. So I don't have any real, you know, I, although my Haitian group, you know, I grew, I came out here with a lot of my Haitian family friends and we created our small little group. There were about eight or nine of us of, of Haitian families and moved to West Orange around the same time. And we kept in touch and we went to each other's homes. And that was, that was huge. But as far as like school, I didn't go to school with them. They all went to, We all went to private schools. We all went to different private schools. So, you know, um, so uh, I didn't have, you know, that. And so going, so having Mook Rawl, I mean, Mook just, he was a lifesaver lifesaver and 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 our friendship just blossomed out of music and i just learned my culture you know i was able to be exposed to and again we're in east orange in 81 82 hip-hop is happening literally a few miles away it's literally happening right there bls and ktu so we're getting this stuff fresh
1: yes Um,
0: it's like we're, we're we're right there um um and so that experience really informed uh, my view. I say all that to say, once I got that, I, I knew that I couldn't come back to West Orange um, because I knew that um, I couldn't be my true self in the current uh, setup.
1: Right, right. So I
0: moved to New York City. I went, you know, I went to Rutgers, New Brunswick, communications major. I got a job on working in advertising out of school. I was lucky, very lucky um and um a few years later i moved into the city and lived in the city for about 50, you know 15 years and um it was amazing i met my wife got married but ran out of money my sister moved back to west orange um and she said you know west orange has changed it's not more diverse i'm like okay <laughs> <laughs> And how many
1: year how many years after was that?
0: This is uh I've been out here for 17 years. So 17 years, 18 years ago.
1: 18 years ago, okay. Um, what's that? Uh
0: 2000, 2002, three, four, I, I right. can't I we had them.
1: been here, we had already been in West Orange probably four five years
0: prior well, to four, that. Five right? years prior to that, yeah.
1: So I
0: said, look, I I officially moved out of West Orange in ninety one, you know, ninety. I want to say 91, do you mean to tell me it's 2000, you know, 2000, whatever that West Stars has changed that dramatically in that short amount of time? I found that very hard to believe. And I, and I, I'm a pretty optimistic person, but I'm also like, that seems pretty impossible. And I don't know what happened. I don't know how the real estate changed. I don't know what happened, but I'm, I started visiting my sister, um, who lives, uh, not too far, literally 10 minutes away from me here in town. And I, you know, I went to Essex Green. I was like, I literally was like, where are all these black people coming from? <laughs> <laughs> went, to, went to, you know, went to shop right. I'm like, where are these black people? From? I went everywhere. I'm like, where are these black people? Like, it seemed I, I walked around the neighborhood. Like, where are these black people come from? And it truly changed. And when we moved back, you know, because I married my wife Sally, who's English and white, we have you know biracial children. And you know, I didn't want that experience for them. Uh, so that's why West Orange was unknown. But then West Orange was a yes. And I felt like, I felt like I needed to move back because, because it changed. I felt like if it didn't change, if if West Orange was on some bull that I had every right to stay in New York or move someplace else. But since West Orange changed, I felt compelled to come back to my hometown to kind of be a part of that change. Um, And then fast forward years later and opening a business and with COVID, um, you know, the community support. That I've gotten just from, um, you know, from being a business owner. I mean, it just, it really opened my eyes to the possibility of what community, like, you know, a collaborative community can really do. So right. Right. I'm happy to be a resident now. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, n- nothing's perfect. Right. But I'm very, a very proud resident. I, I could honestly say I, I lived in a town that was not open to black people or people of color when I was a kid. And I moved back and it changed, you know, and maybe not everybody's open to people of color. I'm not saying it's utopia, but the population and the politics, and I feel the general social, when I see the high school, I feel like the high school is, a, is the prime example of what West Orange really is. And it's a very diverse, multicultural,
1: right. um, mm-hmm. you know, community, so. And, and, and you mentioned, so you, Let's kind of fast forward a little bit. So you had mentioned you had mentioned that you studied advertising. Um, you went advertising at right out of right out of college, but you've had a lot of different jobs. So you've been a teacher. You're you're currently a, <laughs> uh, you know, and you've wonderful bands, bands that I'd heard of, and it's funny. I'm, it's like wow, he was he actually leader of <laughs> these bands. So um, how did how did all those different positions kind of prepare you, you know, for being an entrepreneur?
0: Yeah, it's funny. Um, if I knew that owning, I never, you know, being a uh, uh, the son of Haitian immigrants, um, owning your own business wasn't really a front of mind thing. At least with my family, it was very much about again. My mom's a nurse. My dad was an engineer. They both got jobs that were very stable and very uh, and and the idea was to get into a stable career that would make sure that you can maintain standard of living. So owning your own business wasn't really a thing. And if I would have known that one day I would open, I would have my own business. I think I would have um, uh, taken, I I I think I would have taken all my jobs a lot more seriously. Mm. You know what I mean? I I just felt like, uh, I felt like every job I had that wasn't like in my mind, my dream job, which was at the time, like a top CEO in within a great organization, you know, six figure job being like a boss, you know, um, that was my dream working for somebody else and getting and retiring because that's what my dad did. And that's what my yeah. mom did. Um, so, uh, so every job I went into, I I brought my full self to the job and tried to make that job my life. And it never worked. <laughs> right. So my mm-hmm. first advertising job was at a company called NWA, which at the time was a pretty big advertising agency. And I was a group assistant, you know, level job, and I was pretty okay. But, I was like, you know what, I'm going to be a copywriter and then I'm going to be like a, a, an account executive and I'm going to have accounts. I'm going to have like, no, they had camel, they had Burger King, they had all these major accounts. I'm like, I want to be an account exec. So I brought my whole self, like, you know, I'm going to do it, but not knowing. And and again, this is my view of my, this has been my experience of corporate America, you know, in 1989, you know, a young, brash, you know, outspoken black man working in a white creative space, you know, <laughs> I didn't realize that there wasn't a, there wasn't a fit, you know, and I'm being myself and people are just like, not digging my vibe. Like, and I'm watching my other white counterparts who were, were exhibiting, you know, at the time in the eighties, corporate was very masculine
1: for right. lack,
0: lack of a better term. So you had to really kind of be a, kind of like a, you know, not disrespectful, but, you know, you needed to let people know, like, you're here, you're confident, you're, 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 you're ready to learn, but you're confident in your talent. And sometimes you took on people and you let people know, like, you know, I don't know how to explain it, but, uh, and I'd see my white counterparts, like, kind of make bold statements in meetings or do uh, creative things off out of the box and got, get compliments. Oh, that's so creative. And I would do the same thing. And it was just like, ah, I get talked to whatever. And my point is, I felt like my brand, whatever I was, wasn't what the company was looking for. They weren't looking for black executives or <laughs> whatever. So right. I would bring my whole self and then I'd eventually get fired um, for because, you know, I would hit the ceiling quick, you know. Um, and when you, you know, because I'm I, I, I consider myself a pretty fast learner. And when I, when I, I, hit the ceiling sometimes so fast, you know, my head would hurt. Um, and, and it, it would either be like, Hey, it's not working out or, or I feel like there's always something that would get me out. So every, so advertising, I thought I was going to be advertising person brought my whole self got fired from that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, great. I'm going to tour with my band. You know, I started the, I started a band called bigger Thomas back in 88, uh, uh, a ska band was playing, Whatever touring, whatever gave my all of that, but for whatever reason, ska and music and you know, drugs, you know, drugs and band they don't mix,
1: right? That didn't
0: work out. And I'm like, fashion surely, fashion will be the thing for me. And I got into fashion, um, and app because I read so many fashion magazines on the road uh, while I was touring. Um, I, I really like clothes and I always liked clothes as a kid, so I started working for a clothing company in Soho selling high end clothing. Um, you know, to men and mostly menswear in Soho. And then that, then I was a buyer over at, uh, at Bloomingdale's. And then I was, you know, working for Kenneth Cole um, and uh, doing sales. And uh, I was in charge of Northeast sales for them, um, selling suits and sport coats, to Macy's and Lord and Taylor. And this was over like a five, six year run while I was in the city married. And I felt like I was achieving, I was living like my, you know, American dream. Like this is my thing. But every point along the way, I was always reminded that I was not really there. Mm. Always just not there. Something always was, I was close. I was always close, but I never was there. And I'm scratching my head saying to myself, like, I seem like I'm here. I, I, you know, there's been months where like, I was top sales per, p, person for a couple of months in a row, but still I wasn't getting the raise. There was times I was managing teams that, you know, doubling, managing double the team that, account other counterparts are having and producing more numbers, but still not getting the, the, the promotion. I just something was always missing. And at the time, you know, you work in a vacuum because black networking for me was still kind of rare because finding black people at the certain level that we were at VP or senior VP or whatever, there weren't a lot of us there. And I wasn't tapped into it for whatever the reason. And I just took it to heart. Like I, I just have to work harder. I just never just came about. So Kenneth Cole actually quit that job because I just was like, I'm selling clothes and who cares about clothes? I wanted to kind of make a, a real difference. So I quit that to become a school teacher in Newark where I was born because I thought it'd be a good idea to give back to my community. Mm-hmm. I started working in the charter school world as a PE teacher back in 2006 or something like that. Um, thinking it's a slam dunk. I'm a, I'm a, married black male from the area with kids, you know, I should be welcome with open arms and people should want to, you know, work with me and I should be owning a school or running a school within a few years. And it was completely the opposite. And that was the the biggest twist of my brain and a real view of what America is right now. It's just, you know, white, there are white liberal people that really mean really well. And I, and and I, and I knew that, and, and, uh, you know, I, I, in my inner circle, I have a a variety of friends of all skin colors. Um, so, um, so I know they're well-meaning, however, you know, the reality is in the charter school that I work for, and I'm not going to name names, it's just, they want to control the narrative and you can't control the narrative of a movement. That's not yours. You know, uh, I always bring up this analogy. You know, if I was a very wealthy black philanthropist, and I had a group of twenty Haitian American black philanthropists, and we decided, for some reason, there's a uh, the Hasidic community in Crown Heights. We realized, for some reason, is super poor, and we want to start this school for them. And we raise all this money, and we build this beautiful uh, facility for this Hasidic school to happen, and we staff it with all black leadership. Okay. (laughs) And then we hire a couple of, you know, Jewish people to, you know, be the the disciplinarians um, and to, you know, uh, run the sports, you know, and maybe a couple of the Hebrew classes, but like the, all my, all the whole leadership's all black. Right. You'd be like, well, how, I mean, that's great, but don't you want to hear, don't, shouldn't you have, maybe Hasidic people in leadership with you to give you, no, 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 no. Like we know what their plate is. We know their deal. We, we got it. And, and that's what I, and that's what I, I saw it, you know, in that world, like we right. have people literally trying, I had literally um, people of all persuasions, but mostly white telling me how I was in you know, my view of how raising or teaching black children was off, you know, like, a lot of these didn't. Ha- a lot of these guys didn't have kids. You know, um, they they weren't married. Um, at the time, I was married for like, you know, fifteen years. I had I had a, I actually had a kid when I was teaching in a middle school. I actually had a kid the same age of the kids that I was teaching in middle school. And I, I remember being in meetings where my boss would tell me, like, you know, you, you know, my young, you know, the way you're doing it. I'm not sure if it's really. I'm like, I'm a. I, I don't understand how you could say i don't i don't know where you're getting this from so um that really <laughs> soured my whole experience um how that informed me on being an entrepreneur is disappointment you know if, if you can't handle massive disappointment then you shouldn't even you know you're going to be massively disappointed in business and it's going to happen often And I think a lot of people don't realize that. I think people think it's going to be a fun ride and it is a fun ride, but with that, there's massive disappointment. There's massive, uh, Mm -hmm. massive setbacks that you have to rebound from any great business, any great person, any great, anybody you you see their documentary. What? It's great. All of a sudden disappointment, personal tragedy, Right. You know, team loses 30, 30 games in a row, like whatever. And um, you have to be resilient enough to believe in your brand, to believe in yourself, to get back up and, and believe like, you know, what I'm having a setback, but this idea, this thing will still go on. This business is still good. And that's what being in a, in a terrible, like charter school world taught me is like, I still was able to do some good, but you know what? I had a young family. I had, I had bills to pay, you know, uh, you know, I had responsibilities that I had to really, you know, I couldn't find a job really that was going to pay me what I need to pay to pursue my brewery. Right. Like I literally had to keep teaching in order to open the brewery and I had to endure situations that I didn't really want to deal with in order to see, in order to, you know, it was delayed gratification. I knew if I gutted it out, you know, 13 years, you know, I I I I started the brew council ten years ago, so okay. thirteen okay. years. Okay, it was ten years of you know, not great daytime motivation, right? Um, but at night, I was like, okay, I, I'm getting this done because this daytime thing is for the birds, and I need to make <laughs> this happen. So that that's uh, I, every entrepreneur. Like if 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 there's an entrepreneur out there that hasn't had a terrible job. Or a serious setback, I question their credibility off the top.
1: Interesting. Automatically. So, yeah. So, when I was thinking about um, just beer here today, just doing a little research, you know, I thought about. The first beer I ever drank, it was a Budweiser and, uh, and was, I hated it. Mine too. Mine too. I hated it oh, too. Yeah. And so I actually, that's how I got the name Milkman because I just couldn't stand, you know, cause that was the, as you know, that was the eighties beer of the, that was the eighties beer of, you know, for, for, you know, Yeah. Yeah. for teens, you know, teens, yeah. white teens, that was it. You drank Budweiser probably because it was cheap and, Yep. And, and it was, it was nasty. So now that I know that was your first beer that you ever had, um, how did you you know develop the pat just the passion for beer and then opening and wanting to own a brewery
0: it's a funny thing i really it was there were things you know in, in my you know middle age I'm, when i look back on my life there were things that happened in my life that just were this constant thing for no what, what, for what i thought were, were there for no reason so beer was one of those things. For some reason, my, my parents were very strict. You know, I didn't drink or smoke anything until Ooh. I got to Rutgers. And I did all of that my first night at Rutgers.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> orientation,
0: right? I drank my first beer and I smoked my first joint, like my very first night. I actually even told my friends, as soon as my parents pulled around the corner, when I saw them pull down and made a left down Piscataway, I was like, guys, I need to find this stuff out. And I drank my first Budweiser. I opened it up. I drank it, and it was disgusting. It was really, really bad. I really didn't like it. But everybody around me seemed like this was the best thing in the world. So I pretended to like it for about seven, eight months.
1: Um, You went that long.
0: I did because, you know, fitting in, you know, again, like the 80s, you know, my view of the 80s were, you know, as a black person who was educated, you know, even in college, you know, fitting in is, it it was difficult. Like you just want to fit in. You don't, you Mm -hmm. stick out enough as it is, right? Um, uh, Even at Rutgers, which is a, you know, very, I I, I was, you know, I was at Livingston campus and my freshman year, I've never, I don't think I've ever gone to school with so many black people ever since surrounded by black people on that campus. And it was amazing. Uh, But as you know, the years go on, by the time I got to junior year, three quarters of my classmates weren't with me. They were like, I didn't know three quarters of these people. They, they don't, they, they drop. So, you know, so anyway, so the question again, I forgot. I, I forgot my truth.
1: <laughs> well, when did, when did the passion? When oh yeah, the passion.
0: So passion I'm you. drinking Budweiser and I'm hating it, but everybody likes it. And every party I go to, they're drinking Budweiser. It's like, uh, it's like a status symbol, Right. If you're you're drinking Bud, that's like the official college drink, Um, you know. So by month seven, I'm really not happy, but I'm trying along. Right around month seven, I have a cold Budweiser from a tap at a bar. And for some reason, it just tasted different. It Mm. tasted somewhat good. Like I was like, wait a minute, like something about this beer. And I didn't know at the time, but it was a really fresh keg. Um, and it was from the draft and the guy, the way the guy poured it, I don't know. It just it was so crisp.
1: It just hit um, different.
0: It, it hit different. Okay. It hit different. Um, so I started to like Budweiser more, but then, um, thank God I'm, bi- I'm going to, I'm taking the train in New York city. Um, to, you know, cause I got friends who go to NYU and other colleges and stuff. So I'm visiting them and now since I like, since I like beer, now I'm going to bars and I'm finding out there's another beer called Bass Ale, Bass mm. Ale. Seems yeah, to yeah. like, oh, Bass Ale. Okay. What's that? Wow. Now there's another beer called Amstel Light. Now there's another beer called Heineken. So I'm starting to like, and again, I'm not conscious about this. I'm just, if I'm, I'm just trying to drink something at the party um, and I want it to taste good. So that's how that, that, so that was the kind of start of it right around, um, I guess in my thirties, right around I got married and living in the city. Now I'm not like in seat, I'm not into beer, but I'm starting to get a little bit more sophisticated with my beer. Like I'm starting to get exposed to like Belgian beer, you know, cause I'm in New York and I'm drinking Duvel and all this stuff. I'm like, okay, it's getting fancy. And then we move out to the suburbs. Right? When I moved to West orange 17 years ago, that's when it hit me like, okay, I need a hobby or else I'm going to die out here. Right. So, um, <laughs> cause I don't be that guy, you know what I'm saying? You know, you know, you got your, your your friends, they're, they're your man and all, but they're dying out here. They just gave it all. They move out here. Like, Oh, that's it. I'm just going to die here. I'm like, come on, man. So I, I was like, I could either get into wine or beer. Um, so I said, you know, wine, I tried looking it up. It's expensive. Short answer. I can't afford wine. Good bottle of wine, three, $400. No way. But beer, good bottle, 30 $40. I was like, Oh, so I start drinking beer. I go to Total Wine in West Orange. I walk in. I ask the guy, hey, you know, what's a good beer to drink right now? He's like, oh, have you ever had an Oktoberfest beer? I'm like, what's that? Takes me to this Oktoberfest beer called Paul Anner. Try this. I take a six pack of that. I'm like, yo, uh, it's 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 delicious. It's this malty. They make it for Oktoberfest. I go back a week later. I, I find the guy again. I'm like, well, what else you got? And, I, and now he starts, hey, have you tried this? Have you try that now the internet's new and so i'm like okay now i'm looking up these beers online and then and now i'm finding other beers related to these beers now i'm starting to get like it's like a little low-key hobby so it's like once a week and then it's like twice a week and then it's like every other day i'm going to total wine now and then like now i'm going to brew beer stores every day but different ones i'm going to total Wine, i'm going to bottle king i'm going to buy right I'm going to all these spots because now I'm starting to research all this beer and I'm starting to bring all these beer back. Mind you, a four pack of really expensive beer is like $25. Like that's the most expensive four pack, mm. uh, a normal, like average four pack, 13, $14. So we're not talking. So if I buy two or three beers, so we're talking, I'm spending like $50, $60 a pop. So we're not, I'm not spending like $300 uh, you know, a week, you know, maybe I'm spending a couple hundred dollars a month, but again, I'm collecting these beers. I'm doing all these research. And for some reason, when I drink these beers, it makes me, like you said, like it hits different. When I drink these beers, I start to feel different. I feel like I'm not in New Jersey anymore because I feel like when I drink a Belgian, like I, I feel like I'm in Belgium because the flavors are, are, you know, or a beer from California, like it makes me feel different. The, the beer is kind of like, um, I'm a musician. So when I hear a good song, it does something to me. Like my head starts to bop. I start to be like, Oh, like, you know, you make that face like, oh." and I started to get that same feeling with beer, drink a beer, just be like, my head would start to bop. Like what's, what's about this beer.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm.
0: It just transported me from whatever. And and so I thought it was just me, my brother-in-law Dion, he would come over and i'd be like he'd be my you know we, he'd be my guinea pig i'm like i gonna drink this and he'd be like yo what is this? like what, what, what kind of beer is this like not the bad ways like this is delicious then i started inviting neighbors and then i became like the beer guy the unofficial beer guy okay so in my neighborhood if there's a picnic or a barbecue and if i'm coming over they're like when roger comes over like trust me he's going to bring some just Bring some good beer. I'm like, I got you. And I come and that's,
1: in. That's when the beer council council started.
0: Exactly. The brew council was just literally yes. just, I went to a beer tasting in Montclair, um, met a couple of home brewers across for, sitting across from me, from my brother in law and I. We got to talking. Tom, this guy, Tom uh, Tom Marulakis and Garrett Brown. Uh, Tom is now the owner of uh, Scopos Hospitality Group. He owns six restaurants, one of them, uh, the Barrow house Cowan's, um, um, the, the Vanguard and Harrison, uh, Garrett Brown is a sales rep for Firestone Walker. One of like the biggest breweries, uh, craft breweries in the, in the country. Um, but back then they were just home brewers. And back then I was just, a home, and I was just a teacher and we just met and they were like, I said, like, you should bring your home brew to my house. We'll taste it with our friends. They only had two or three beers. They're like, let's add other beers to fill out the lineup. And that's how it started. And the, we had our first meeting literally about 10 years ago, right in my living room. It's like eight guys. We, we printed out a menu. We had notebooks and it started off all like serious. And then like by beer five, it was like, you know, it got, it got sloppy, but um, we decided like, let's do this once a month. And it met everybody's needs for me. I had young kids, so I didn't have to leave the house for my friends. They're neighbors, they're literally either walking or getting dropped off by their wives or taking an Uber. Um, and they can get messed up, you know, or whatever at the house and get home safely. And it's close to the house. They're not in, they're not in New York city. They're not at a club. They're at, uh, you know, a residential house. Um, so it just met a lot of needs and it just grew. It went from five to 10 to 20. And, and the key, another key thing for any business person is just consistency there are some brew councils I would have, 20 people would show up. Some brew broke brew, brew council I would have, nobody would show up. Not one, not one person. I would set it up to send out invites, not one person, or one person would show up. Um, and next month, seven people show up, and then one th- month after that, two people would show up. Like I would just do it regardless because I loved it. I didn't do it for um for the people, like oh, two people showing up. I'm not doing it. Nope. I, I'm doing it because this is what I do. Um, and I never this was not uh I wasn't trying to open a business, I was just trying to create community. That was it. Mm. I wasn't trying to open a business. I wasn't
1: trying to open a business. Okay, I was not.
0: I was hey. strictly just like, I just want to hang and drink some beers. Here's here's my ambition, Keith. My my ambition of the brew council was to get to a point where craft beer festivals would invite us for free and we would have to pay and we just drink free beer that was the that was the height of my ambition like if we could drink free beer and get invited to festivals beer, or have Bruce send us beer to review i would be like hallelujah we made it and i made up some I'm, you know, I'm an advertising guy so tom's wife um who does graphic design uh made a logo for the brew council really cool logo uh and i was like you know what i think i'm gonna put down on a polo So I made up some polos, like 30 of them. You know, all my brew council guys, we bought them like 20 bucks a piece. Brew at the zoo happens, the very first one or the second one. So we're like, you know what? Let's wear all of our polos and let's go. So we're like, yeah. So 20 of us wear our polos to to brew at the zoo. Keith, man, people (laughs) love branding. 20 dudes in these blue brew council shirts (laughs) going up polos and people just like whispering, what are you guys? And we're just like, ah, we're just friends. That's how it's because we're like, ah, don't get all excited. We're just friends. It's just, we're just having a laugh. But halfway through we're drinking and people are really just like, well, I've been seeing a lot of these shirts around guys. Like, what are you guys? I'm like, you know what? Let's have some fun. You know, we're beer consultants, man. We do, we do tastings. We do beer pans. We pair beer with food. We did none of that at the time. We do beer. We pair beer with food. We do private tastings of people's homes. We'll, we'll, we'll curate some beer. They're like, really? Give me your number. I'm like, yeah, sure. We didn't think anybody would call us Keith. That Monday, three or four emails. Hey, brew council, listen, my 40th birthday party. Can you guys come through in restaurants? Hey, a friend of mine told me you guys come to restaurants and do pairing. Can you come and, and pick three, four beers to pair up with our, we're like, yeah. <laughs> what? so now I'm doing research to actually make sure that we're not doing bull and that research was the education. Um, And we did private tastings in people's homes. Uh, We did a pairing at Susie Q's barbecue. Uh, We like, it just, all this stuff started happening. And this happened for five years. This was five years of okay, five years. And again, I say it five years now, but at the time we weren't, There wasn't a plan there wasn't like oh we're gonna do this for two years and then it's gonna it was just literally just like i can't believe we're actually even getting paid to do a tasting at somebody's
1: house have fun and drink
0: (laughs) people are paying us to purchase the beer and they're paying us a fee for the consultation so we're literally and we're just using that money to buy more beer it's just like it's the dream situation until i go to a house party um, six, seven years ago in the Gregory section of West orange, I'm not wearing any brew council stuff. I'm just myself. I walk into this party, I'm talking, blah, 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 Person comes up to me, says brew council, right? I'm like, I don't know this person. I'm like, yeah, how do you know? Oh, I, th- I think I'm on your Facebook group. Cause I have a, cause I started a private Facebook group, you know, and first I knew everybody, but then I started getting all these invites from people I didn't know, but I'm like, what's the worst. I mean, you know it's an open you know if they're into beer and i posted the guidelines and so people who i didn't know were joining were part of my facebook group so this guy was like oh yeah i'm part of your facebook group and i was like wow cool okay. you know, <laughs> i'm like okay it's like oh yeah so are you guys a brewery i'm like nah now we're just you know we're just you know tasting group we're just friends it's like oh, okay cool hour later at the same party a woman hey wait you're you're the, you're the brew counsel guy right i'm like yeah. How do you know that? Oh, my husband's, I think he's part of your group where he might've come to one of your events. I'm like, all right. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you guys brew beer, right? I'm like, no, we're, no, we don't brew beer. We're, we're It's like, okay. Blah, blah, blah I'm leaving that party. I pass a guy while I'm leaving the party, he's going into the party and he stops. He turns around. I was like, wait a minute. You're, you're that beer guy, right? You're that brew council. I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So wait, do you guys, do you guys have beer? here? Do you guys, do you guys brew beer? I'm like, yeah, we brew beer. He's like, oh, really? You guys? Have-? I'm like, no, we don't have. it's like, when are you guys gonna open a brewery? I'm like, soon, man. I guess. Like, yeah, yeah. And then at that time, my partner Anthony uh, Minervino, I-, I called him. I said, yo, you gotta come to this party. Yeah, DJ D- brew-
1: D- D- Ant, that's right. One. Good man, good man. <laughs>
0: right. I call Anthony. I'm like, yo, people think we brew beer, and he came down. And people like, oh man, I was talking to your business partner. Like business partner. Like people. People, the community, the community told us to do it. Mm. They were the one. They 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 saw us as brewers before we saw. We weren't brewing beer at the time. We just were curating other people's beer, and other people told us we were brewers. Wow, that's awesome. That's and awesome. we had to, and that and we like we, we and we had to write the business plan. Like we didn't want to. I didn't want to own a business, Keith. I just wanted to drink free beer.
1: Wow.
0: And people were like, You guys, you're a brewer. And I'm like, I am They're like, Yep, you're gonna brew beer. I'm like, Okay. So Anthony and I started brewing beer, home brewing. And Anthony really, that was really his domain. I was a sales and marketing guy. Anthony really took on the brewing and I was helping with the home brewing, and it was hard. Um, uh, we the beer that the first beers that we brewed were okay, they weren't great. Mm. And, our friends were telling us they were great mm-hmm. and then we were lucky enough to befriend one of the owners of other half brewing in uh in brooklyn that's uh, got in matt monahan and we were dropping off our homebrew to us and he was giving us honest feedback he was just like you know the beer tastes like onions because this or the beer tastes like you know smells like this because what water did you use like he was giving us feedback and the beer it, it wasn't negative feedback it was just
1: it's honest right?
0: yeah right and not to say that I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't cut my friends off. Or you guys are lying to me, but you know, it's just, another thing about being an entrepreneur, like, you know, your friends are there to support and help you and they may not give you the most honest feedback that you need in order to grow your business. Mm. And you need an outside person who can look at your business or your product and give you objective feedback because your friends are always going to be thinking it's great, but your friends are going to, are going to buy from you once or twice. Right. Maybe three times you need to convince the people who aren't your friends to buy your product or do your service. And you have to invite critical feedback and you have to go to the sources of people that, you know, will give you that real feedback. And we went to the, we were lucky enough to own to look, this guy is owns one of the best breweries in the country has five locations. All right. And we're dropping off our homebrew for, for feedback you know, like he's a busy guy. So when he's drinking the beer, he's not going to be all warm and cuddly. He's got a lot to do. So he's going to be like, all right, (laughs) right. (laughs) Not like to be a jerk, but look, all right. I tasted it. Okay. No. And here's why not just no, here's why no. Okay. And that, that was an 18 month process, Keith. That was 18 months.
1: So, so it took about 18 months before, you got to the point where you had a beer that you could actually sell.
0: We, we actually hit that. We, so we hit, other people said we hit that point six months in. They thought the beer we had six months in was good enough to sell, but our, you know, the feed, the feedback from Matt was not that. And that's what we, we accepted the feedback at six months, seven months, all oh, this beer is great, but we were like we're not going to go forward until this guy says it's good right cuz right. if this guy this guy Scott he's doing it and if he says it's not good i don't care how much beer we sell it's not going to go it's we're, we're not going to last and we're not we're not going to get this guy's respect if anything like it, on on a personal level he's going to be like i we, we'd want to work with this guy in the future do a collaboration with him uh, with his brewery and if he, if he feels like the beer is not up to snuff and we're opening up and putting out there, then we really won't collaborate with them. We really won't work with them because, he, you know, <laughs> he doesn't think so. So right around the time, 18 months, he was started getting feedback from him, like, you know what, this beer is okay. We're like, really? And then finally the, you know, for, for me, I'll never forget the moment where he lived in the same neighborhood. Actually we did for a time in West Orange and he came over to, um, you know, my business, one of my business partners house and, uh, um, and he drank all the beers that we had, you know, and he was like, yeah, yeah, this, this is, yep. You guys are, yep. This is, this is tasting. And I was like, we couldn't believe it. And that was, and, and, you know, that was right around the time we really, we got fully funded, you know, cause it took about 18 months to get fully funded too. About 18 months. Okay. Yeah. Um, that was, again, you want to talk about setbacks? man, we got battered. We got battered in these little pitch meetings for like six months. We got battered. <laughs> I mean, I don't know anything about business. I'm a creative visionary guy I right. tell big stories and pictures and big pictures. People are hitting us. How much, you know, you know, what does it cost per ounce for you to produce this beer? Or, you know, what's the break even on how many customers per hour? We're getting, we're getting eviscerated in these meetings. Um, but you know what? Uh, we didn't but get eviscerated for the same thing learned a lot we didn't get eviscerated for the same thing right, right? so wherever we got eviscerated for for meeting one we didn't get eviscerated for that but we got torn apart for this other thing and then the next meeting those two things didn't get messed in but this is the other thing that we didn't think about and that takes about for us it took 18 months to get to the point where actually it took about 12 months to get to a point where we knew all the answers
1: right. Yeah, and that, and, that, and that happens to a lot of business owners because you just, especially when you're looking for funding, you know, until until you know, and they're and they're going to make changes. So, and I so I find that interesting because I do know that's one of the challenges for uh, bipoc owners in the in especially in the craft business is the funding side. So, do you feel that? Um, because you were in these meetings that you got scrutinized a little more, or do you Absolutely. just, it was you were brand new?
0: Absolutely. A bit of both. It's a bit of both, you know, and, and that's the beauty, I guess, you know, some people say that's the beauty of uh, racism, right? It's, uh it's subtle. Um, And, you know, you don't, you don't really know because it is both. We, we were all, you know, me, myself, my other partner, Jeff, um, we're all, this was our first uh, uh, brewery. This is, our first business um you know none of us were business people we didn't have none of us had business backgrounds um and you know we're just beer people so yeah definitely a lot of scrutiny uh, however you know you know the reality does exist again you know um less than 1% of you know breweries craft breweries in this country are owned by people of color um you know we're talking you know eight you know 80 or 90 out of 9000 so You know yes there is that however i i do feel that you know at the end of the day if you know it's it's a numbers thing you know you have to make sure your plan is solid i i I think that's it at the end of the day i think yes there are other things that come into play but if it's a good idea um, if it makes financial sense you know if the business plan makes sense and honestly, you know, they need to see some skin in the game. You know, we were trying to raise money without putting any money in, mm. and it went very slowly. And it, in fact, it went it almost died until three of us had to decide to put each one of us some money in into a bank account to show investors that you know, sweat equity only goes so far when you're when nobody knows who you are. You know i don't know you i don't know how much sweat you put into this thing you say you put in all this time how do i know that hmm. oh you put in 25k of your own money oh okay so all right so you're you're okay you're you're trying to really do some stuff okay all right let's see what you're doing and i just threw that number out there it could be five thousand it could be whatever right but there needs to be a
1: financial you can throw some kind of money in. so at, at, at there... some point
0: you for any investor and I get it at first I, I was, I thought it was disrespectful. Oh, you don't respect me. You don't see that. Nope. I don't know you from Adam. My dude, I don't know you from Adam. My friend's friend said you're opening a brewery. I drank the beer. It seems like it's good. I seen the branding. You seem okay. You guys seem like you'll do it, but bro, I like, you didn't put any money in this. You want to put all my money in? Like, really? You know, meet me halfway, you know, Hey, I put in, I don't have a lot. I put in $700. Okay. Cool. I, at least I know you put something in. Right. Is that all you got? Okay. All right. Well, great. Because um, you know, it's 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 a very rare investor, in my opinion. And let's keep it real. People of color, we need to jump every hurdle twice. So have every duck doubled in double rows, right? right? Get double the ducks and double the <laughs> double the rows just to make sure that because people will try to fade you at every moment. You know um which i don't understand I, I didn't understand but whatever it's the nature of the beasts.
1: yeah um, so you you open four city four city Brewer, brewing mm-hmm. company and in, in orange right jersey um beautiful place right by the train station it's great looking. um so what and you've been open i think was it two, going two around, years going, just over two years and so what is it what's your primary function of the business, and then what has really surprised you most and what has been the biggest challenge owning the brewery?
0: Yeah. I mean, my, my my primary function of the business, you know, sales, marketing, um, you know, you know, my, I I used to call myself creative director because I always, you know, from the fashion world, I always wanted to be a creative director of a fashion house. And now it, you know, I feel like the title is very limiting and it doesn't kind of really encompass what I do. But, you know, I mean, de facto face of the brand. Right. So the mouthpiece. And I like that. Um, but I also, you know, the sales and also the culture of the business. You know, I, I worked at a really lot of really terrible jobs and um, I hated the culture. And I feel like I, I want to create a culture where people feel empowered and mm-hmm. feel like they know what they're doing and they they know what they, they can do what they need to do to be successful and they're appreciated and it's not, it's not a big deal. So that's kind of my main, uh, my, my main role. Um, the thing that surprised me the the most in, in this business is how quickly, you know, (laughs) it's funny how quickly, uh, people or, or situations change when, when business, you know, business is not, uh, I thought business was more of like, um, like a roller coaster, right? So, uh, you know, go, you go, you go up and down, but it's safe cause you're on a track, but, uh, it's more like, um, skydiving, you know, like, you know, you Ooh. get thrown out of a plane <laughs> oh, <laughs> Like when you okay. open your business, you're, you're thrown out the plane. So whether you want to stop or start the business kind of doesn't matter. Cause cause the business is up and going. So whether you want to deal with the business going forward or not, like you have no control. And sometimes I honestly feel Keith, I feel like sometimes I feel like the business has its own, it's its own entity. Like it has its own personality apart from who we are. Like the business Mm. does its own thing. If people buy the beer, the business does stuff. And we, I feel like sometimes we have to chase it, but it's like, but I feel like, um, but it's more like, um you know, running a business, like you're going out of a plane. So you're falling and, you know, all you can do is mitigate, <laughs> you know, and hopefully you have a chute, and your shoot is solid uh, and you land safely and then you're like, awesome. And then you get back on that plane
1: <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you, and, you,
0: and, you, and you do it again because, you know, because you have to take this chance because um, I don't. Maybe because I'm a, I opened the business during COVID, but I have no. Uh, I feel like uh, business there's uh, there's no plan. You know, we had a business plan, and that got blown the bits. Got blown the bits eight months in. Whatever thing we had on paper, whatever anybody had on paper, whatever quarterly projection, whatever forecasting you had, that you paid thousands of dollars for your analyst to get, whatever that happened when covid happened that all went out the window so everybody no. was everybody was on same even steven which i like cuz now i'm a little guy and the big guys and we have to eat the same food mm. <laughs> the big guys clumsy <laughs> he's big he can't move so fast but the little guy we can scramble right so for me i'm used to disruption like all i know is disruption and now I'm feeling like maybe disruption is maybe that's the model. Like just forecasting is BS anyway. I feel like maybe you should plan, like maybe it's like monthly or quarterly planning, right? Like, how are you going to forecast two years? Like, really? Right. I mean, I could, I, I get it, but.
1: So, how, how did that disruption, how did disruption help you to pivot or Ooh. take? Take a risk that you didn't think you would have taken. I love it.
0: That disruption made decisions mandatory. We had to. We didn't want to make decisions. Ooh. We had to make decisions. That's what. Wow. I, that's that's what I loved about COVID. Because we, we talked, well, oh, we should. Uh, one day we should. Uh, maybe we should. No, COVID was like, hey, nope, we're not doing that.
1: <laughs> oh, okay.
0: We're not doing that.
1: So as you as you of the, the owner of uh, business owner, you guys had to, you guys had to really be decisive. We and- had to,
0: we had, we had no choice, but to decide. We, we couldn't put it off. We wanted to put it off. All the meetings that we put off, all the decisions we wanted to put off for the future, we couldn't put off anymore. We put it this way. We were, we didn't want to can any beer. We wanted the first year to be all about the tap room. Cause that's where the margins are. We brew it right there and we sell it right there. No middle. Mm. So we're going to keep distribution small. So before COVID, we only can, we only can beer twice and the very small runs just to test the market, but we were never planning on canning beer until the end of year one. Okay. Eight months in, we can't, we don't have a tap room. (laughs) We can't have people inside. So we have to now can beer (laughs) and we don't want to, (laughs) but guess what? If we don't, we're going to die. So now we're canning beer. So that decision about, should we not, should we, I don't know if we should. Nope, we're doing it. But nope, shut up. Because if we don't, we'll die. That's it. So now we have to change our model to, we're going to start canning beer once a month. How are we going to do that? I don't know, but we're going to figure that out. I don't want to figure that out. Guess what? It doesn't matter where you want to figure it out or not. Because if we don't do it, we're going to die.
1: (laughs) So so even, even with that, there was still some resistance to do it.
0: Because it's a process. We didn't right. have a canning machine. We had to hire an outside canning company. We had to pay them to come can our beer. Okay. And that's a cost.
1: And right. We had to
0: pay for the cans and it's, and we had to coordinate all that stuff. And then now I have to go out instead of having all these events at the tap room. Now I got to go back to my old days of can of cold outside sales. Now I'm putting on my outside sales hat. Now I'm going to bottle King. I wasn't going to bottle King and all stuff before. I didn't need them. I had the tap room.
1: My mm. margins are there.
0: Now I got to go out. I got to go to Bala King. I got to go to. I, now I got to go sell cases out of my car because I don't have a truck. Because we're trying to buy a truck. We don't need a truck because we're not going to distribute beer. Guess what?
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. Now
0: we got to start thinking about. We might have to buy a truck. Which, and we bought a, we bought a van a few months ago. But initially, all the all the can sales came out my car. In jeff's car and anthony's car we're putting cases of beer into our personal cars and delivering 20 cases 25 30 cases stacking them in the passenger seat delivering them to bottle king and we did not want to do that because we weren't set up for that because that wasn't in the plan but guess mm. what <laughs> it doesn't matter you're doing it and that's what i loved about covid uh let's how about we do this beer this style no, we're not doing that beer. Why? Because I ran the numbers. That beer does not sell. Although we love making that beer, we think that beer is cool. That beer doesn't sell. So we're not going to make that beer anymore. We're going to make this other beer that seems to sell a lot. And that's how we discovered that Citrus City and Kegstan were our flagship beers. Oh, okay. That's how we discovered. We didn't know that because we weren't really looking at the numbers because we we're just like party guys.
1: You're just hanging. Okay.
0: Right? Yeah. The numbers will take care of themselves. So it'll be fine. Like, yeah, I mean, we're watching it, but yeah, we're selling. No. I'm crunching like. Wait a minute. Let's not make these other five IPAs. Let's make keg stand in Citrus City a bit more and see what happens.
1: <laughs> so yeah, and I, and I wanted to jump to that. So what what actually? Because I what are the kind of different different types of beer? I don't want to get too technical, but what are the different? And to make it easier, what are the different types of beers that you actually make? And um, yeah, and what really goes into a quality a quality craft beer.
0: Yes. Uh, without getting too technical, we have a variety of beers on tap, ales and lagers. Um, uh, we make both. Uh, so okay. a lager, uh, keg stand, um, uh, which is, uh, it's it's our version of uh, Budweiser. You know, uh, lagers are given a bad name because of Budweiser, uh, uh, Corona, because they're mass produced. However, um craft beer, all craft beer is is smaller batches of beer. That's okay. All, that's all it is. So macro beer, mass produced beer. And there's and you know what, there's a market for that. Budweiser and um Corona, the reason why they sell really well is because pretty decent and they're inexpensive. And there are people out there who want, you know, who don't have a lot of money and it's not a bad beer for, for that, you know, for, for the price, but there are people out there who want a bit more flavor. They want a bit more taste. Um, They want something with a little bit more intention. And so what we do is it's just like the difference between, you know, McDonald's and a home-cooked meal, right. Or local restaurant. Um, Both are good. Yeah. I, I love McDonald's fries. Yeah right? I love McDonald's fries still. However, you know, when I go to Jared's bagels, right? I'm getting something that I know I'm not getting anyplace else. Um, and that's the same with the beer. Even if you're getting a style that somebody else makes, they're not making it the way you are. So, uh, we have, so lagers, and then we have ales, IPAs, uh, India pale ales, they're called, um, most popular style. They're called IPAs because, um, the English used to export beer to India to their you know, their colonies, whatever, and it would always spoil. And then they realized, look, if we put, add more hops um, to the beer, it'll preserve a lot longer uh, for the long journey. So it became an India pale ale because they were shipped to India. So very popular style. Uh, we make a few of those stouts, which I love. I'm drinking one right now, uh, four-city stout, um, which is uh, our version of um, Guinness. That's a 4.7 low ABV uh, stout. Uh, that we make, um, that is, uh, also very popular. So, but again, craft beer, the, the term craft beer just implies smaller batch, um, and just, uh, you know, qual- you know, higher quality ingredients, um, and beers that you made just, you know, you don't get anyplace else. You know, that, that's the idea. That's, that's where I see it as a economy reviver. You know, if you, pre- if we produce a beer that you can't really get anyplace else mm. only at four city, Um, then people are more apt to come to orange or wherever you are and bring their dollars and spend their dollars um, in the town. And that's ideally what we want.
1: That's great. Yeah. And I have my, my, um, which is, I think one of the new one, if I can do the locals. Oh yeah.
0: Locals. Ooh,
1: before I I came in and um, and so you did something kind of, kind of different. And so, in the marketing. So what is really, cause local says, oh, it's the kind of a local beer. So what made you decide to, you know, I guess brand <laughs> or bring this name?
0: Yeah, so um, collaborations are very popular in craft beer. Um, normally be between two uh, breweries, uh, two breweries. And a lot of it is in In the way I view collaborations is, you know, uh, you, you find another brewery that you, you admire, their styles, there's something about them, there's camaraderie. You meet up with them a couple of times, have some beer, talk, say, Hey, you know what? Uh, let's collaborate. We'll brew a beer together at your location that you can sell. Um, and you know, and you come to our location and brew a beer that we can sell. So it's kind of like you're helping each other's you're cross pollinating each other's markets. So that's normally what happens. Um, we've, uh, we have a few, uh, you know, we have close to 90 accounts, um, uh, liquor store and restaurant accounts in, in the state and neighbors, uh, a local wine shop in South orange, uh, uh run by uh, this couple EJ and Veronica that are amazing, great couple. Um, and, uh, just, you know, there's, just, we, there's a bond there, you know, we opened it up around the same time. Um, they sell our beer and we just have, you know, I don't know. We're on the same page with a lot of business and community, and just our worldview. And uh, we did a collaboration with Harlem Hops first last year in Harlem, the black-owned, the uh, New York's only black-owned craft beer bar, um, and that went really well. So I, I said, "Some hey, you know what? We did a collaboration with Harlem Hops. I'd love to be able to do like some collaboration with you guys too." And they were like, "Absolutely." So the process is um they bring in beers that they like similar beers that the flavor profile they like so they they came to the brewery and they brought three or four beers from other breweries that they like and we drank them We're like oh and we drank and then we poured some of our beers and they're like oh and so and our head brewer walker was like oh, okay you got a good idea what they're looking for and so we came up with the, he came up with a recipe
1: mm-hmm.
0: um and then once he came up with the recipe uh we brewed it and so the artwork um there's Two labels. One is from uh, the colorful ones from our label designer Ashley Cordero, okay.
1: um,
0: because they wanted to have two different label, uh, two different artists, because both are local artists. And, oh, okay. Um, and the artist uh, they had an artist that they've uh, that lives in their town that they're very close to, and they said we'd love to get him involved in this project. Um, and they're like, you know, let's have Ashley do one. So Ashley did the colorful one, and it's just like little um, icons that kind of depict. Little things about each uh, each location. So the the, uh, the lawn chairs, something from neighbors. They have a lawn chair next to their place. The flags on there, you know, are from ours. And then the other one that he did, this a guy named Thomas Schmid. Um, he's another artist, and um, his whole thing, he just kept it really simple. He just wanted like a simple lawn chair motif. So it's not only a co- collaboration on the recipe, but it's a collaboration on the art design. And and the whole the whole idea was like it's it's for everybody, but you know, we're two businesses that are less than three miles away from each other, um, and we're collaborating to do something that you can't get anyplace else, and that you may not get any, any anyplace else anymore. And I think that's just cool. I th- I just think there's um, I think there's a lot to be said for local pride, right? Like you should be proud. Like yeah, this is what my local. Brewery and liquor store are doing. They're collaborating and making this beer, and it tastes really good. And I'm gonna tell my friends about it. I just, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I lo- love it. Love the passion. Um, and so that, and that's a kind of a gate, great segue to kind of local because you know, in the fact that you were, you are kind of the front man. You know, people recognize you and they know you just, and, and probably that helps too, being the only person of color. But was there ever a time where you know where someone came in and was kind of surprised that you were the owner, or oh, didn't yeah. you were the owner? And what you know, what was their reaction? And you know, how did you kind of feel about, how did you feel about that when you had to? It's
0: tell funny. Uh, it's the great thing about it is honestly, it's it's an equal opportunity offender. I've had black people uh, be shocked, you know, that I'm the owner, and I've had white people uh, and other people be shocked. Um, uh, and it's always a pleasant shock, but I I think it just speaks to where we are, but nine times out of 10, when, uh, when they, you know, I I was saying, I shouldn't say nine, times out of 10, I'll say like five times out of 10 when I say, yeah, are you the owner? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Like it's always positive, but it's always a shock, um, black or white. So I wish I could say like, I wish I could say it's like one more than the other, but, and you know, and and for me, you know, uh, usually when black people hear, they're like, oh, like what? Oh wow, they're like super excited. Um, mm. which is great. Um, but it's also like, why wouldn't you think that a black person could own this place?
1: Right. Um, and do you and do you think the disparity um of the the reason why there's aren't as many black owned um craft brewers is it is it just because of the funding, or do you think it's other things
0: yeah i mean you know we're in the country is in a funky we're not getting into details but the country's in a funky place right um you know you know you could either we have an opportunity to face the past honestly head on and come up with solutions based on you know reality or we could bury our heads in the stands and and pretend you know um you know, it's, it's going away. So I think it just speaks to just where we are as, um, as as a, as a country. I, I, you know, there are a lot of black men out there like me who still struggle with feeling that they're enough or that they're talented enough to make things happen. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of that is, and 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 I'm going to keep it hundred percent, Keith, like I feel a lot of it is like, you know, I feel like a lot of my career, I've been like, you know, gaslit, my like gaslighting. you know, people telling, convincing you of something that's not really true about yourself. Um, I feel like that's happened to me in my career. When I look back on my career, I'm just like, I'm, you know, again, like, I seem like I'm doing well, like, you know, and that and everything seems to so, but everybody around you seems to seem like I'm not doing well. Um, and, you know, that's a real thing. And, and that has an impact on the confidence and the willingness of black men to enter the corporate and the, uh, you know, entrepreneurial world. Um, It's not a nice world when you're not, when you're one of the few, which is why we applaud the, you know, the black businessmen who pushed through and the Earl Graves all the way back to wherever, Um, you know, it, it takes some guts. Um, And at the same time, you know, there are a lot of people out there who don't want to see black advancement. Right, there are people out there who actively just feel like no things are great. (laughs) Things are awesome the way they are. Let's keep it moving. It's worked for us for centuries and let's keep it as is. And um my view of it is that my role in craft beer is to, you know break that up i i don't see it as i I think so many people see it as this fight of good and evil whatever again if you're a true uh capitalist you would want everybody's money you would want white people black people arab asian whatever money why would you limit your uh, likability why would you limit your your product to a certain group of people Um, and for me, in order to get full buy-in from those groups of people into your product, you have to have them part of your leadership structure. You have, they have to be part of their leadership. They have to have an active voice in shaping the policy of your business. And if you're not willing to do that with other people that don't look like you, you know, it's going to end up looking one way or the other, either all black or all white, you know? Um, And I feel like for me, my goal is to surround myself with people who not only think differently from me, but who can respectfully disagree with me. Right. But who Mm. look different from me. Right. Right. Because if we could all agree to something, those different people, then the idea has such much more chance of success, in my opinion. So I want the person who's not, I'm a very free, hey, it's, uh, I want somebody who's like, you know, no, we can't do that. I want somebody who's, who, who sees the no, <laughs> you know? I want somebody who's going to see this other thing that I can't see. I want all the sides, the blind sides, right? And that's going to take women, that's going to take Asian, that's going to take LGBTQ. that's going to take all these people in positions of leadership to help inform where we're going. That, that's again, that, that's how I see it. it's not easy and it's not always pretty, but you know, this is the way business has to go. You can't have one race of people, any race controlling everything and expect diverse results. It's just, it's, it's just, if I'm in a room and everybody looks like me and we all agree on something, it's probably like, it may not be the best, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just I, like we cover all the angles. Did we right. or did you just cover all our angles.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, we and I think we uh, of color do real, realize that to some degree because we know we have to. We have to because we know we have to look for the fun- Funding is very important if we want to survive. And you know, we we have to be able comfortable to network in different spaces in order to do so. And I think it, it, for those, you know, on the other, you know, other side, you know, if they want quality products that, you know, they, they find other ways they'll, they'll do it through advertising or they'll find a pitch person that will, you know, be able to reach the communities, but it it needs to be a a lot, a lot deeper. Uh, And so.
0: It has to, it, it has to, it has to be meaningful. The, the voices, you know, I always say like, you know, a lot of these institutions, they want our faces, but not our voices, right. They want us to be, they want our picture in the brochure, you know, they want, Hey, our, we have a really diverse workplace. Look at look at Keith over here. He's, you know, and look at Keith again. Like you know say, like you know, like there's only one here. But hey, you know, they want, but we're in the meeting. Like hey, so here's how we get more people like me in here. Whoa, oh, hold on, Keith. Look, you're, you're you should be like you're here. Anyway, right. so look, man, I hear you, but yeah. We don't really, we're not down with any of that. We just have you here just so we don't get sued. You feel me? So right. we're gonna give you an extra million dollars so you can shut shut the hell up and uh yeah, enjoy your golf, all right. And, <laughs> and, you know what I'm saying? And and I'm not even mad,
1: yeah.
0: I'm not even mad that there are brothers and sisters who do that. I get it, cuz look, you know, money doesn't fall off trees, but you know, at at the same time, you know, and this is my thing with these with the liberal side of people you know republicans i'm not a huge fan but man they they know how to rally they can rally behind their they they, they 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 you know they rock together they they hey man we doing this we doing this it might be bull but they 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 lock into the bull together hey we're all gonna do a bull together all right great but yo these liberals man look we look you can't have the house and, 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 and fumble on bro. It's, it's, it's first thing goal. You fumbling on the five, bro. We have momentum and you, we, we can't, you can't get your own team together. That, that for me, it just speaks volumes to how there needs to be, where is the, the killer instinct of the good people, right? The quote unquote good guys, the good guys, there's no killer instinct, mm. you know, Republicans are ruthless with theirs, right? They're they're ruthless with theirs. They're ruthless with their own. They're ruthless with their own. They'll even put their own out there, strip them down. Man, poor Christy. That dude, that dude got rocked. (laughs) He coming back on the tour, bro. Too late. You got played. But they wrecked that dude. And I'm saying, if if there's gonna be some good done in this country, the good people gotta get ruthless, man. You know. Even Jesus flipped over some tables, bro,
1: right. you know?
0: <laughs> flipped tables over.
1: We, we can probably do right. more of this. We may have to have some four-city speakeasies, my goodness. You know
0: what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Took the whip out. He yeah. made a whip and was like, bro, no, you know what? Here's how I'm getting. I'm flipping this table. What's up? Oh, okay, man. I get it now. And we don't have, and I feel like, you know, the liberals, we got to get on some flip the table. Hey, whoa, no, nope.
1: So so there, I know there may be a, a movement of individuals now, especially uh, Black, uh, indi- Indigenous people of color, wanting to st- maybe create their own brew or start, you know, because, you know, once something starts to get hot, we want to jump in. So what are some tips that, um, like, three tips that people should know when they're considering, you know, starting their... Creating their own brew. Maybe they just want, want to have at home uh, yeah. what are some things that they should know.
0: Yeah. I think the uh, number one is do your homework, uh, do the research. There's a lot of beer out there. There's a lot. Drink them all, even the ones you don't like, because if you don't do that, you're, you know, you're only harming yourself. And, and again, this is my opinion. Craft beer is, it's a lifestyle. It's, it's, um, it's, it's a, it's a calling and you have to, you know, you have to put in the work to really love, you know, you have to love the beer, love the styles, appreciate the styles, do the research that that's number one, too many people see it. and Well, I feel a lot of people get into it for the exciting part of owning a brewery oh, I want to own a brewery, but they don't know a lot about beer, which is fine, but I don't think that's, I don't think you're building a, a sustainable brand that way. I think people see through the person who just opened it up to have some fun. Mm. So, you know, do the homework, know your beer, you know, you don't have to be, you know, a scientist, but know your beer. And the second thing is, you know, be active. Like I hear so, you know, I, I can't stand artists or people who have all these creative things and do nothing and do nothing with their art. They love this, they love that, and do nothing. And I'm not saying you got to be putting on art shows and doing whatever, but be active. Write a blog, uh, you know, you know. Do some go go to events. Like be active mm-hmm. because it's it's you know, ha, you know. It's the backdoor to networking. I mean, what I'm really saying is networking. But right. it, networking sounds so. People hear networking. Oh my gosh, it's so. cool, I don't network. No. Be active. Go out. Got nothing to do. Go to a craft beer bar that's got 100 beers on tap. Pick one you've never had one before. Ask the guy behind the bar or girl behind the bar, what's this beer about? See what happens. You don't know where things are going to lead to, you know. Um, And and I think a lot of people just are very passive when it comes to their passion. Oh, I really like it, but uh, I'm just going to sit in my house and just, okay, get out there. And I think the last thing is, like, you know, guess know thyself too like just just know if you're really you know don't say you're going to do something you're not going to do it like you know oh starting a business raising money my unofficial number is 85 of the people out there talk mess 85 will will tell you stories for no reason i don't know why people feel like they got to impress you but my unofficial number is 85% of the people that i meet tell me stories about stuff they don't have or they don't or they're trying they're trying to flex for whatever the reason. I don't know okay. I don't know why. I don't know why. But you know, know thyself. Don't go out here and say I'm going to open a brewery and you you know you're not. <laughs> just maybe just may, start with hey, I think I'm going to brew some beer. Start there. Right. And, you know, oh, I'm going to you know do this every day. I'm going to you're not. And it's okay. Or if you say it, then do, do it, then do Th- it, you know, then, then just do it whether people show up or not, because that's, that's what I hate. How can you stop doing it? Well, nobody was showing up. So you gave up. So you're doing it for other people. <laughs> so Let me get this straight. So you're only doing stuff for people to show up to. So how do you think musicians get record deals? You think they just play gigs and nobody shows up to the gig. They stop playing gigs. That's how it works. No, you keep playing gigs until people come. And uh, you know, and and that's what it's all about. If you're really about craft beer, keep brewing the beer until people like it. When people like my beer, get better. Uh, I'm not brewing anymore because people like my beer. <laughs> Maybe I'm not a good brewer. Right. Wow, really? Okay, I guess. Or you could just brew better beer. So those are my three things. Like you know, just just keep it real. You know, uh, you know. Uh, do something every day. And and, and like the active part, people feel like, Oh, I got to do. If you taste a beer today that you didn't taste before, and you write a little note about it on a piece of paper, a, you just advanced your beer knowledge today. That's all It could have taken five minutes because those are wins. And a lot of people don't count those as wins, but those wins add up, you know, you know, 10 years of doing this, doing little notes and tricks and stuff. Mm. 10 years later, I'm, I'm going, I'm talking to you right now. I'm like, how do I know all this stuff? You know? But that's honestly, it's very straightforward. You know, as a person of color, the BIPOC people out there, there's never been a time. We got about 13 more months, people, 13 more months before this gold rush. It's about to dry up, in my opinion. So if you will have an idea or an interest, that's why I'm starting a brew training program. It's called the EEB, uh, Entrepreneurship and Equity and Brewing ten mm. program starting in the spring
1: you know 3 okay. hours a Saturday to get you yeah. in i know we talked about it, so you got a name the eeb yeah, the
0: eb yeah. you know and that's what we're doing and now's the time there's there's money out there to fund black owned everything women owned everything latino owned everything there is but they need to see a business plan and they need to see some passion they need to see that you're actually going to follow through on the money they're about to give you cuz people want to give you the money but in 13 months, there's gonna be a new thing that will be very popular. I don't know what it is, and all the money will go to that.
1: Mm-hmm. So uh
0: so right now, like I said, I've never I've never gotten so much interest in the brewery and so much interest in EEB than ever. And I'm not even trying because people are looking for stuff like this. People are looking for black owned, people are looking for training, people are looking for how can we equity. They're looking for that and they're looking for people like us to run it and to do it because we have to do it. We're the ones that are, you know, to do it. But again, you know, a lot of people talk, you know, now it's time for the action. So right. I told all my friends, you know, every idea that you had, Oh, I want to start this own black. Oh, yep. Sounds great. Do it really. Yeah. You mean that? Yep. I, 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 I've never felt in all my, years on this earth in this country, never felt, I've never before until the past six months felt like being a person of color was an advantage in business.
1: Wow. Well, this was great, um, Roger. I just, this has been fantastic. Uh, I'm glad you're on. I, I can't wait to to try my local as soon as I get home. Yes, uh, sir. <laughs> and, uh, and so um, Four City Brewing Company is located Uh, and and is it actually a street? I know I I just say it's right by the orange train station.
0: Yeah. Yeah. 55 South Essex Avenue, right next to the orange train station. Um, we're open Thursday through Sunday, um, Thursday and Friday, four to 10, uh, Saturday, 12 to 10, Sunday, 12 to six for Thanksgiving week. We're going to be open, um, on Wednesday from 12 to 10 open on uh, Thanksgiving day, nine to two, just to pick up. So any last minute cans before you go or whatever. And then uh Black Friday will be open twelve to ten and all that weekend. So uh yeah, uh we're at 85 locations around the uh around New Jersey. We're on Instagram at 4 City Brewing, Facebook, Twitter, all that jazz. Yeah.
1: Great, great. Um, and so as you know, and I don't you don't know, but I always like to end with a question that's rather rather thought provoking. Um uh, mm. we kind of touched upon it a little bit. Um But I always want to know because I think it's not just about what you do, but also how you're feeling as well. And so, my question is: How are you feeling right now as a black man in America? Gosh. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Wow. Um, Wow. Wow. That is a very good question. I saw the question written, and I was like, "I'll have something for it." And honestly, I am uh, I am cautiously optimistic. Um, I feel that America is has shown or continues to show its true face, and I think that will make it easier for for black men to um, navigate and to get more focused on, on what they need to do um, I'm yeah I, I feel cautiously optimistic I I don't it, it's complicated uh, there's definitely you know <laughs> man, what a question <laughs> <laughs> Well, wow. as a black man in America, I feel
1: that stumped you a little bit.
0: Yeah, it did. I, it's it's tough because there are some days, honestly, Keith, I feel like I'm 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 nine feet tall and there are some days that I feel like, uh, you know, I, I get cut off at the knees. You know, that somebody just cuts me off at the knees out of nowhere. Um, and, uh, and I feel like, you know, what just happened? You know, how, how am I how, how am I down on the floor just so quickly? Um, But yeah, I'm. I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah. I, I, I do feel that there is a shift in momentum, slight shift in momentum, sl- sl- slight shift in feeling. And, um, I'm hoping it doesn't go away. Um, I'm hoping it's not a temporary thing, mm. the whole black awareness and all that. I, I, I'm hoping it's not a fad. Um, and I'm hoping we can carry this momentum and really, you know, uh, uh, uh a, a soon-to-be brewery owner in Memphis, Tennessee, his brother named Thurman came up, gave me the concept of he's trying to skip a generation in a generation. So he's trying to, when he goes into the ground, he wants his children to be as well off as his grandchildren would be. Um, and I feel like we have an opportunity to do that with this generation. Mm. We have an opportunity to make up for a lot of lost ground because we have the technology and the brain power. We actually have a pretty critical massive um you know bipoc talent out there uh in a variety of forms and i feel like we have we we have the capability to skip a generation in generation and i think once we get that then you get to see some real real equity you know when i see jay-z owning uh you know half a square and um, lebron uh, having a piece of the red sox organization you know those organizations are going to look different they're going to be in 10 years time five years time those Boardrooms will look different, you know. Their policies, I think they're going to be a little different, right? <laughs> you know? I, I, I'd like to think, and I think that's that's when you'll start to see. Because when you have pe- people of color at the top who can green light policy, now you're talking, right? Oh, well, you look, oh, yeah, no problem, yeah, no, we're, we're, it's come, yeah, we're passing this, don't worry about it. Oh, we're, yeah, I got you. Then we're like, okay.
1: <laughs> well with your Roger, with your you know, your drive and your business partners and just your love of you know, your business for city brewing, the craft brew industry will be different as well. So oh,
0: absolutely. I and I, I cannot wait. I cannot right. wait.
1: So so thank you, uh, Roger Apollon from Four City Brewing Company. Uh and tonight. And if I don't um talk to you, you have a great Thanksgiving.
0: You too. Thanks so much, Keith. I really appreciate being here. Thank you. Thanks.